This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kira Mawera. Kira Sam, how's it going? Very well. How was your weekend? How was the big shake-up? Um, it was really interesting, and I have to say how incredibly proud I am of our Eastern Bay Plenty community and the way everybody just knew that they had to take action and I and I'm thanking COVID for that. Over COVID I think we've learned that when something goes wrong we have to take action and then that will pass and we get back to normal. So when we got all of the notifications that we must evacuate immediately, it was like and it was in capitals with exclamation marks, immediately, right now, do not wait. We all just did. And it was amazing actually. I'm really proud of us. And a good community feeling up on the hill? Yeah, really. Um, like I've always got emergency food in the back of my car, uh, so and the other people apparently do too. <laughs> so there were a bunch of us walking around feeding people, giving each other, giving drinks, and people would open their homes so we could fill up our bottle bottles and give more water out. And yeah, it was yeah, it was just really good, beautiful community feeling actually. And who are we introducing today? Today, it is my great pleasure to introduce Te Atarangi Sayers. Uh, I actually met his dad before I met him, um, and his dad has a connection to my whanau down in Otako. Uh, so I recently spent some time with his dad and heard about him and realised that I'd actually been following his work for a number of years. So um, Te Atarangi is a researcher in marine research and um, has made a significant contribution in that space. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Hi, kia ora, kia ora um, Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, so I'm really pleased to be here and to, to share the insights from this from this long journey. Where are you? Oh, so I'm I'm here in um, in the sunny Bay of Plenty, uh, Nui Atoa, just uh, near Tauranga. Did you get evacuated as well? No, no. I'm fortunate that we we, we live in a bit of an elevated space. So, how was your lockdown life going back a year now? <laughs> Uh, it was beautiful. We reconnected with the whenua. Um, we went and spent time on our papakainga, um, you know, developing and, and building some, some more gardens and some more capacity around the around the, um, the rohe. No, it was really beautiful. And it was great to see the, the, the life start to naturally repopulate um, areas of, of estuaries and, and oceans and, and riverways in such a small, small period of time. So it was really, really amazing to, to watch nature start to Recolonize. So, 
Marine science research, marine research. Tell us more. So my my background is in um, marine biology and um, and ecology, particularly in the uh, in reproductive systems and invertebrates uh, initially, and then um, kind of moved into restoration ecology to Totoko, the Hokanga and Alkomatu and Queer at Mortiti Island, uh, who were basically suffering from about 50 years of um, chronic degradation. And uh, unfortunately, um, they weren't getting any go forward in terms of being able to get the recognitions of the natural and cultural landscapes. So I became um, part of the, well, to Tautoko, the Mōtiti Rohe Moana Trust, who are the, uh, the Komatuas and Kuiers for Mōtiti Island. And in essence, we've just recently taken on um, a new worldview around the relationship that the Resource Management Act has with the inclusion of customary and natural um, values and the way in which they're protected uh, into the future. Is that both the the land and the the sea? That well, well, although we we focused um, on the on the chronic degradation in the marine space, the Court of Appeal uh, that gave us a jurisdiction in order to be able or clarified the jurisdiction said that it wasn't limited to just the marine space. That the functions of the Resource Management Act actually extended across all spaces and uh, and provided an infrastructure for informed decision making around our uh, natural resources and cultural relationships. Because that's quite a big call because it had just been land, hadn't it? The, the fisheries and things were excluded from the RMA? Yes. So, so the, the, the act of controlling fishing for the purposes of fishing is excluded from the RMA. And, that, and that's rightly so. I mean, the, the specialty skills and, and fisheries management um, and the scale of fisheries management is obviously much broader than that of a regional context. The interface itself actually lends to the informed nature of the ecosystem of uh, of legislation that's operating in resource management. So what we've what we've basically set is we've set the function um, to inform those local contexts and those special characters at the regional level that should be able to interface with other organs within the resource management um, regime. What's the history of Mutiti Island? <laughs> Well, we were the first. We were the first. Um, we we were the first. Um, we were the first case to be heard in the native land court in the um, Waikiki region. Uh, we pretty much have had a long uh, history of uh, of pressures from from mainland um, influences, uh, and that's that's continued. Um, although, in in essence. I think we've always got to remember that we are people of many places, but when we stand for the kaupapa of the of the island, ma mōtiti, mō mōtiti, and that that kaupapa derives from the benefits of, for the island. So pressures from the mainland, is that what degraded it? Aren't islands supposed to be little nice eco-sanctuaries off the shore and protected? Yeah, we, we, are, we are relatively... Um, 
have experienced the luxury of being a sanctuary. What's happened in recent is the is new technologies and the increase in power and accessibility um, to many many areas in the ocean that we never thought of would be exposed to the sorts of pressures that it's experiencing today. So what's happened in essence is what was once sacred spaces for um, for intergenerational relationships have now been exposed to open slather activities because those values of culture and and nature haven't been informing the the Fisheries Act or the Resource Management Act. And the pressures aren't just fishing, they aren't just the extractive pressures or the future extractive pressures. They're actually also the, I suppose, the more chronic degradation that we're, we're experiencing from the catchments that are being poorly managed. And you had a container ship crash into one of your reefs. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we we experienced the worst ecological uh, maritime disaster in Aotearoa's history, uh, which was the MV Rena. Um, it's still a tragedy uh, that we that we live with, and live with the knowing that that it still remains there on our Tokatapu. Uh, what we are hopeful is that now that the protections have been afforded to these to these Tokatapu, that they will now be preserved from any future attempts from regional councils to discharge or dump the remains of a future vessel on these on these special and sacred places. Is the arena still there? Uh, the uh, there is a proportion of the wreck that will remain. Um, it slipped down below the safe divable limits um, for scuba. And there's also um, obviously been a lot of work done into cleaning the debris field up. Uh, we expect the, the wreck to persist for a half-life of around 130 years. So uh, this is a, you know, it's a tragedy that it's remaining because of obviously the technical difficulties with removing it. But at the same token, you know, we appreciate that that it's going to be in situ and therefore we need to have that ongoing relationship with the special nature that, that is in this in this place, in this space. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Little River Band Call Change. Why this one? Uh, so I was a boot kid, um, like many um, many kids growing up um, with their parents going from hui to hui, um, sitting in the back of um, the walker and the station wagon. And so me and my sister used to grow up listening to, well, Little River Band going loop in the middle of the night, staring up at the stars as we uh, traveled across um, across the Mortu. So yeah, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll share, share this bit of nostalgia. There's one thing in my life that's missing. It's the time that I spend alone Sailing on the cool and bright clear water There's lots of those friendly people They're showing me ways to go But I never want to lose their inspiration Time for It's time for a cool change And now that my life 
all prearranged I know that it's time for a cool change Well I was born in the side of water And it's there that I feel my best The albatross and the whales they are my brothers It's kind of a special feeling When you're out on the sea alone Staring at the full moon like a lover So you said you've been working on restoration ecology. 
is is that a is 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 from your perspective is that is that a thing that's doable or have, have we if we're talking about things having a half life of 130 years are we past that or is it worth trying we're we're facing one of the greatest challenges uh and that humanity humanity has ever faced and that is the cl- the challenge of climate change um we are right running very close to a crisis in biodiversity, a crisis in in water, a crisis across the spectrum. And if we don't start to appreciate that our biggest weapon in defending uh, against climate change is actually about building resilience in the ocean. And the resilience in the ocean and putting that property in as much carbon as possible should be at the forefront of of our ocean management policy going forward. At the moment, we've watched the um, the Timuana Nui Akiwa just not achieve any meaningful um, contribution to climate and climate management because the countries aren't willing to step up to to the call to to manage the the vast 50% of the ocean that is currently outside of any jurisdiction. Now, I, I suppose we've got to try to work out how we connect as community to restored ecology and restored biology and restored functions in our marine space so that we can appreciate the need to be able to scale the restoration and the application of vahui, of aukati, of other methods in order to be able to um, recognise the significance of, of the natural values and the natural infrastructure, but also the enduring connection of culture and the relationship that we all share as people with our ocean space. So I believe that it is uh, ex- extremely important that we are successful in marine restoration and at scale, not not just little token bits. I mean, we're protecting the last bastions in the in Timuana Nui uh, toy at the moment, which is which is the significant Wahi Tapu areas that are significant, not just to the people of Mortiti, but to many Hapu and Iwi across the across the Mortu. So, you know, the the relationships of um, of restoration and the narratives in, in which we deploy restoration need to be transitioned away from being exclusionary to being inclusionary. And we've got to start to look at how we can transition our economy, our ocean economy, to be able to support a high value, low income uh, economic, um, a high value low-impact economic model. So how do you go about achieving marine restoration at scale? It's it's not the sort of thing that you can have a working bee and plant a whole pile of natives. Well, we sort of do. We sort of do have to have a working bee and plant a whole pile of natives. Indigenous, indigenous kelp forests, we have, to, we have to give space to bring the... The, I suppose the ecological regulators back to those environments to, to plant kelp forests again. Naturally giving Tangaroa, uh, the god of the ocean, the space to be able to regenerate Ngātini or Tangaroa or the magnitude of, of his children. Uh, and we've just got to give that space. And, you know, I don't believe that um, that it, that it's that Rahui is, is a permanent um measure or tool for for healing the the, the marine space or, or for healing the the loss of modi or life force but that what it does is it provides an opportunity for us to have a continued observation of change in a place 
for um, for the period of that restoration. And uh, and Ahui is an adaptive management tool that's well recognised not just here in Aotearoa, but around around the Pacific. And we we really need to tap into this indigenous worldview and knowledge base uh, for for management in the future. Why are the kelp forests degraded? It, it, it's not like the the land. We, or did we? Did we actively chop it down, or is, is it just because of the the catchment runoff and stuff that's killed them off? Well, two, twofold. The catchments are, are obviously critical in terms of not having high sediment loadings coming down the um, down our riverways into our marine spaces. Um, obviously, smothering uh, potential habitat, but a more um, and more what we've actually cut down is we've cut down the predatory trophic layers in the ecosystem that once safeguarded or acted as kaitiaki for that kelp forest, we've taken them away and they haven't replaced because every time they get towards a legal size, we then decide to take them away again. And so we're continually high grading the ecosystem, which is resulting in the proliferation of kinners, uh, which create barren conditions in our shallow reef systems. So what do we do about it? What would you like to have happen? Well, I think firstly, um, we need to get real about having a values-based conversation about the things that are important in our marine space, but, but in our raw hair, Generally, or our area that that we're that we're interested that we have interest in, we're 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 at a point where if we don't start to give more um, to our marine space, the ocean's not going to give us anything back. We're facing localized extinction of many fishes uh, in our marine space. Most of our fishes are already being pressed to below twenty percent of their virgin biomass which is tragic if we, if we think about it. And now we're trying to, to put in place, um, I suppose, ambulance at the bottom management where we continue to, to, to uh, degrade the, the, the space and continue to, to grade out the, uh, I suppose, the, the mothers of the next generation while, um, while thinking that we're going to have a different outcome. And that's not, the, uh, not going to provide the drastic action that needs to needs to take place, which is implementing a mātauranga approach, utilising the tools of adaptive management through rāhui, through uh, recognising the cultural landscapes and the cultural significance, through understanding the biodiversity and habitat values that are already available to us to, to, to preserve into the future. Uh, and then use that as a springboard to rebuild the kelp forests that we've lost. How much of it do you think is a change of language? We talk about fisheries in terms of their stocks rather than populations or communities or ecosystems. It's, it's this sort of like secret, not secret, but we've got this, this, this cupboard of stuff out there that we can just keep dipping into. And so long as stuff keeps coming up in the nets, then we're happy with it. So I suppose the, the term that we need to come to grips with is the term of overfishing. So overfishing, in essence, is when we take more than what is being replenished. And over time, we keep taking from the cupboard um, more than what is, what, is in the, what is the cupboard able to, to put back into it or what the farmer can put into the cupboard. 
And now our stalls are running so drastically low, given that, that the estimates from the authorities suggest that it's below 20% in many um, common Taonga species. Uh, we are now at a point where, where, where the, the, the cupboard is so bare, the barren conditions have proliferated into a point where for, for a period of time, marine scientists even suggested that, that Kinner barrens were a natural part of the state of our coastal zonation. I mean, this is how bad it had gotten before we even started to have the real conversation about implementing uh, marine protection areas like at Lee for the Lee Marine Reserve, or 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 at Mortiti now with the with these um, Wahi Tapu protection areas. You know, this this conversation has has been lacking um, tremendously in in recent years because we haven't appreciated that overfishing has been inflicted on our coastal marine environment. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orakanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Hope you're all happy today, superstars. Your beloved really hope wherever you are in this journey on together. Very rewarding, sustaining and for you and who you are. I know that for all of us, as we are moving again, different alert levels, this can feel very unsettling and I know for all of us, this will be affecting us in different ways. As much as we can at this time, if we can be kind to ourselves and others, show compassion for ourselves and others, do whatever we can to ground and calm ourselves and be there for one another, the better. And I'm sure all of you are so much every day. As a species, of course, innately, we love nurturing, we love love, we love connection. Physiologically, all these things enable us to thrive. And so, of course, having shifts in how we can access that connection does make it harder for us. And I know for many of us, our loved ones are far away. I've recently lost two very dear friends unexpectedly this year. And while I will always hold them in my heart and I do feel that they're still with me, of course, that loss is very hard. And so I've needed to really have some time within the loving embrace of the Mansion to process all these things. And I think if we can give ourselves that processing time, it's so helpful. And I now feel a lot better and I feel like I can merge whilst following all the COVID-19 guidelines back into consensus reality. And while grateful for that time in the chrysalis, I'm now ready to venture forth again. So this is really good. And it got me thinking about how, as a species, we're so good at starting again. And really, this whole experience, of course, has been an opportunity to do that in so many different ways. And for some of us, we might not have had the opportunity to start again so dramatically in our lives before. But I think for all of us, we've found new ways of doing, being, seeing, feeling showing up for ourselves, each other in our, our lives. And there's been so much positive about that new start, that way of starting. And of course, we started each moment, each breath, each heartbeat, spark of consciousness firing itself across our beautiful, beautiful mind. Um, and with our own sense of inner knowing, 
that I think for all of us deepens and deepens over time, we are always capable of starting again. So I really hope that for you, wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, you can feel that innate power that you have, strength that you have, that you're always able to reframe and renew your commitment to yourself, to the life. And I really hope that at this time, which is a time of change and is unsettling, we can do our best to see it again as the opportunity for a new start, new ways of doing beings and feeling. And thank you for all your contributors' shared experience. And thank you for talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Teatarangi Sayers. Thinking about um, ways that we can aid the restoration and, and where government can be involved. We've got this big goal of carbon zero and we've got all this carbon offsetting. Why aren't, why is investing into restoring those seaweed forests um, counted as a way of offsetting your carbon? And what can we do so, about fixing that? So blue carbon uh, is a thing. Um, it, it's an okay. accounting practice that has been uh, practiced in different countries. The World Bank did a massive um, debt swap for blue carbon with, I think it was the Maldives in the Indian Ocean, and I think in the past uh, through the Nature Conservancy. Um, what we need to really appreciate is that exercising Rahui and healing the marine space isn't taking anything away from us. It's actually giving to us. Every second breath we take, we take from the ocean. Preserving that kelp forest actually preserves every second breath. When we, when we think about the, the productivity of the, the marine space that's protected, for instance, Lee, five square kilometres of productivity that comes out of Lee is equivalent to 90 square kilometres of open um, fish, fished um, area. And I suppose, I suppose balancing those is that when we look at you know protecting these culturally significant places, we're actually protecting our not only our cultural relationship and our understanding of these places, but because we're prohibiting the destruction of, of these places and we're and we're making them no harm, the whole community basically can take an, an extra second breath. And I, I suppose if we start to to look at how we how we approach the the the, the with climate and with with, with the ocean is that they, they are intrinsically tied together. So whatever we do in the ocean is going to pay dividends in the future. And we just need to transition from being the individual to kind of what can I get for, for myself now or for my immediate community now? And what can I give to the future community and the future um, of my children? Uh, that is really, really the balancing the balancing position we're in. And the more we give now, the more we'll get back in the future. And I think that's that's going to be the transition point is when we start to appreciate the the sheer productivity that is in our marine space. If it's there waiting had, for us. If you had one one opportunity to speak to every person in this country, what would you say to them? To, to make this change start to happen now, what would it be? Where did you fish where you, when you were a kid? Where did you have your relationship with the marine space when you were a kid? 
and can you do it today? And everywhere I've, I've, I've posed that to whoever, they all have the same, the same response because where they were when they were a kid with their grandfather learning to that security that the ocean gave them and they take their children back there to have that experience today and it's a shadow. Sitting, thinking of um, sitting down at the heads with my kids fishing for Kahawai, watching the Persana going up and down the ocean, taking, and we can't catch a Kahawai at the Whakatani heads that used to be thick with Kahawai. It was impossible not to catch one. And now we can go whole days without catching one. But the Persana doesn't stop going up and down the ocean. And we can see it from the heads. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's a story that's shared amongst coastal communities all around Aotearoa. The issue is, is not so much that we need to point fingers. The issue is, is that we need to transition together, that we need to, I suppose, make, a, make an even um, experience within our, within our coastal marine area, within our taonga moana, that we respect our taonga as, as a taonga, um, and that, that we look to, I suppose, bringing our commercial um, community to appreciate that they can, you know, do more with, with the, the lower impact activities. We can all fish the same. Uh, the issue is, is, is are we willing to employ our whānau to, to, to do the mahi? Are we willing to employ our community to be a part of that solution? Uh, or are we just going to continue to use these cheap diesel-driven nets to, um, to scrape the bottom of the sea? Because this is what we've done for the last 50 years. And now we've got a choice. Well, we're coming to a place as a community to have a choice around what is the appropriate activities in our coastal marine area. And it's been, you know, I, I think back to one of the earliest um, restrictions that came on here in the Bay of Plenty was on um, pier trawling when the Koreans and the, and the Japanese and the Russians were, were scraping by, with two trawlers and a big net up and down the Bay of Plenty. And it was in that day that the Bay of Plenty said no more. And they called it out and they stopped it. And basically pier trawling and the, and the territorial sea for, for New Zealand was then cemented as being a place for the community. And I think we need to rekindle that relationship that this is our, a community space. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the, the sorts of intergenerational problems that you've been describing, but also the, the, the more general degradation and climate change and social injustice, the sorts of things that can't be fixed by us staying at home and watching Netflix? Well, I, I suppose it's really just how regenerative nature is. COVID has, has shown that nature is a regenerative um, gift for, for the people um, and the planet. And I suppose what COVID's shown is that if we give nature space, we allow it to, to behave naturally, uh, it'll, it'll come back and it'll, and it'll re-inhabit our, our communities again. And I think having a community that's connected to a strong, productive nature is going to result in a strong, productive community. And, uh, and this, is, this is the opportunity that COVID's given us, has given us an insight, a glimpse uh, of, of what it could be.
Isn't there a danger, though, of saying that we can just carry on degrading it for a bit more because it's regenerative? It'll be all right when we do eventually stop? <laughs> well, extinction is forever. And unfortunately, from from our story at, at Mortiti to, to your homes, uh, what we've experienced is, is localised extinction of hapuku. We've lost the relationship of that species, that taonga species, with our community. Uh, we've actually seen the, the extinction of hapuku across the whole of Tamona Nui of Atoi in terms of the near-shore relationship that's possible. Uh, so, you know, we can sit here and, and say, oh, well, we can still catch a snapper today. But that's not really uh, addressing the future, which is, which, is, which is the resilience that our marine space needs to be able to buffer the effects of, of the stress that not only we put on it, but climate uh, and, and the changing environment has on them. In that regards, then, have you seen any changes in the community and society in the last, in the last year that you, you hope will stick? Well, we live in, in a very interesting time. New Zealand's changed significantly in the last decade, two decades. And the composition of New Zealand's changed where people actually care about the environment a lot more than what they did in the past. And I suppose now more than ever is we have an opportunity to start to address some of the chronic failures of poor management and poor decision making. And we have a framework to be able to provide for, I suppose, to be able to provide for the way in which uh, our environment can be healthy and productive alongside the community. Marine protection, um, I, I, I was really, it was really interesting. I was at the Maraitai um, Fishing Club a few few months ago and, and only, what, 15 years ago in the Hauraki Golf process, that fishing club was the site of, of some very um, strong um, protests around, around implementing of the Hauraki Golf Marine Spatial Plan. What's now resulted is that the reality of the degradation has meant that we now have to move much further to be able to provide the, the assurance that we won't face localised extinction. And because of this, we, we're, we're, the community is, is realising the change. It's their lived memory that has changed. Neville Pete told this um, programme or Sustainable Lens, rather, a year or two ago, that the, tr the trouble we have is that each generation unwittingly accepts a lowering of what, is, what they consider to be natural. We have to turn that around without being too negative about it because people don't respond well to negative. Yeah, the, the shifting baseline is a real, um, I suppose, a real concern with our social relationships to, to the states of environments as time changes. This is why I ask people to tap back into that lived memory, that lived experience that they had when they first shared that, um, that security of having the life force of the ocean. And it's, it's through appreciating that change that enables us to be able to see that the shift has actually happened in a generation now. And past it, you know, the slowly shifting baselines happened across generations, which made it less abrupt. Now we're experiencing it within a generation. Soon we'll experience it within a decade. 
and then we'll experience it within a year. This is the cumulative issues of change that we're facing. And unless we actually put a really big cumulative solution that's going to continue to regenerate that, that, that relationship in that space, we will lose a lot of relationships with a lot of species uh, of, of fishes, of taonga, of space and place in a very short amount of time. Do you think we can do that in a way that that sticks and will stick out the the, the, the political flux? Because the, the trouble if we have one if we have one side of politics is protecting and the other side extracting, eventually the extractors win. Well, I mean, eventually we want to all win. Where we can, where we can obviously have a balanced relationship with with being able to receive the life force from the marine space, but where we can also know that we have an assured, um, enduring marine space that can support it. At the moment, the management regime has has been weighted towards high extractive, low value uh, production. We need to turn that around, and that's it's it's a shift both for our ocean. Uh, community and our and our marine community, but it's also a shift for our social relationships. And I suppose the shift in our social relationships is going to provide the gateway to being able to have these shared appreciations for values of culture, nature, of landscape. That once um, we're, we're just part of our knowingness of a place. I mean, to 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 know a place in such a, with such empathy and such such um, relationship that you know that the, that what you're receiving comes from these these special places. Uh, I suppose this is hopefully a journey that we'll all take uh, as people of Aotearoa New Zealand in, in the future. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have Otis Redding, The Dock of the Bay. Why this? Oh, well, I mean... I, it's 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 just a beautiful a beautiful song. Um, it's actually the song that my brother-in-law sung um, at my Kuro's funeral, and that um, and it was you know Kuro Jack was a uh, was a singer songwriter. Unfortunately, I wasn't given the talents of being a singer songwriter, but um, but he created a lot of different jingles, and uh, and this was this was one of the songs that that always reminds me of Kuro Jack. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in And then I'll watch them roll away again Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away Sitting on the dock of the bay, wasting time. I left my home in Georgia, headed for the Frisco Bay. Cause I've had nothing to live for, and look like nothing's gonna come my way. So I'm just gonna sit. On the dock of the bay 
Watching the tide roll away I'm sitting on a darker bay Wasting time Look like nothing's gonna change Everything still remains the same I can't do what ten people tell me to Loneliness won't leave me alone Listen, two thousand miles I roam Just to make this dock my home Now I'm just gonna sit at the dock of a bay Watching the tide roll away Ooh, I'm sitting on the dock of a bay Wasting time I have some questions to end the show with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? <laughs> biggest success in the last couple of years? Um, in terms of personal successes? Anything um, you well, like. Well, I'm still with my partner. <laughs> well, I'm still with my partner after we sailed around to Eka Maui and um, in, in our little sailing boat. And she's still with me and she still loves me. So that, that, that's got to be a good thing. Uh, in terms of other great successes, I suppose, uh, obviously, the Court of Appeal um, decision coming out that pretty much upheld the interpretation of controls being able to be supported by the regional councils to protect the natural and cultural values of our of our rohe moana. Um, and, and now the, um, and now obviously the minister um, completing the process, which now enables other communities to be able to, I suppose, go on their own journey uh, with this kaupapa. So yeah, no, I'm pretty, pretty, pretty pleased with that. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in our team. What is the superpower that's got you into the mansion? Um, a belief in the kaupapa, I think. I think an un, un, undivided belief in the kaupapa and the belief of, of our kaumatua and our queers um, and the trust in them. I think that was, that was probably one of, the, one of the things that made, it, made the biggest difference in being able to bring this uh, opportunity to Aotearoa. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? No, not really. I'm a technical advisor, so I, I help I help people through technical problems. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Living the dream. The dream. What's the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Uh, the biggest challenges and that I'm looking forward to is obviously the transformational space of, of our Taonga Moana. So I'm aware I asked you what's the one thing that 
you would get people to do or ask people. I've got a variation on that. If you could wave a magic wand and have a miracle occur, what would you have happen? I would have everyone be able to see under the sea. If I could wave a magic wand, I'd have everyone be able to see under the sea. Is there an... Obviously, they're not going to literally be able to see under the sea, but what could we do to help that happen? Tell stories. Shared stories of how, how the world or how the ocean used to be. Um, our, our storytelling is our gateway to our shared culture, and I think that that's, uh, that's how, we can, how we can make the underworld become real to the next generation because they are actually going to grow up in a marine space that's a shadow of what of what we grew up in and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners um to get out there get out into the marine space connect with it in all different ways whether it's whether it's out there line fishing or diving um just be with the, with the ocean and remember it and share the stories. Uh, it's the most important thing is that we have a relationship with a living ocean and that we share that living ocean with the world. Thank you very much for that. Moira. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for all that you do um, because if people like you aren't doing the things that you're doing then nothing gets done and nothing will be fixed and there is no hope so you're creating hope and i appreciate that so much thank you thanks for joining us today Conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. And this is Loudon Wainwright III, The Swimming Song. I'm Sandra Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Moira Karatai in Fakatani and in Taronga, Te Atarangi Sayers. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.